Well, good afternoon, folks. It's good to be uh, with you again. I've got plenty of water here just to, uh, in case I get thirsty. But it's really good to be back in the BI meetings. And it's always a, a pleasure and a privilege to speak here at the Glasgow branch. And also, it's a, a special pleasure to speak here in the, the church, which I haven't been in for a long time, uh, but I still consider to be my church home in many ways. I, I, I did attend here church here for, for a number of years and um, have very fond memories um, of, of, of that. So, yeah, well, Scotland's Israelitish heritage is not a bad uh, title. Uh, I uh, had my working title was Scotland Land of Destiny, but it's the same thing. For the simple fact that history and identity are destiny, aren't they? Who you are where you came from determines, to a very large extent, your destiny. And we want to speak today uh, not just about the history, not just about the origins, although that's important to cover that, and we will do that. As David mentioned, the isles of the sea, the ends of the earth, spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, particularly from about chapter 40 onwards, really speak about a future generation of Israelite people living in the isles, living in the, the coastlands, or as the King James translates, the isles or the ends of the earth. Now, the ends of the earth, a phrase we might use similar to or the four corners of the, the globe and stuff, the far-flung ends of the earth, we really mean that as being as far as you can go, in a general sense, maybe even think of places like Australia, New Zealand, but to the biblical writers and the biblical people uh, reading what the prophets were saying, they didn't have that sort of a general idea of the ends of the earth. To them, it was a specific location. Uh, the ends of the earth, the isles, really meant northwest of Palestine. And as far as you could go, through the European landmass and to a specific region, which is northwest Europe, but in particular, the British Isles. So the ends of the earth, the isles that were, that, that were spoken of in the Bible record, were speaking about the isles that we live in. Particularly, of course, Scotland being the very ends of the British Isles. So I believe when we read Isaiah speaking of these things, the ends of the earth, he's talking about, and this should electrify us, brothers and sisters, he's talking about where we live today and he's talking about the time we live in today. The further into the end times we go, the further into what the, we could call the last days, it becomes more pertinent and relevant as we read what God says to that future generation of God's people, Zion in the Isles. And so it's so important to us to understand, uh, from, uh, particularly as I said, from 40, chapter 40 onwards, let's just put it as succinctly as we can. God is speaking to us in these verses in these passages. So if you could turn with me please to chapter 51 of the book of Isaiah. 
this is a great place for us to begin. Uh, I, I would say our study, but it's really more, I would say, of a message today. I don't, I don't want just to have a history lesson. I feel it's important to see where we've come from, certainly. But most of you will be aware of that. You have many books and, men, and great knowledge of that. But based on that, based on what God has done, and based on our identity as God's people, Christian people, but also Israelite people, what does the future hold, particularly in these troubled times? What is our destiny? What is God's purpose for us as a nation? And when I say as a nation, let me be very clear, I'm not speaking about a Scottish nation. Because there is no such thing. And has not been for over 300 years. And by the grace of God, brothers and sisters, never will be again. And even those nationalists who use that awful dirge of Flower of Scotland, as, as they admit in it, their aspirations are to be a nation again. Scotland is not a nation. Well, it is but it's been renamed and reborn as Great Britain. And, and as, as Davy um, very often has said, Scotland is not part of Britain. It is Britain. You need to understand the difference. Partnership implies separate entities coming together with different parts. But union is one. It's oneness. You know, uh, when, when, when we hear of people having a partner that they live with, or, or as the old Scots term, a bindy in, which we abominate. But you know, when the partners split up, they just go their separate ways. There's, there's nothing to break up because they're two separate partners. But when you marry, you become one. You become a union. And, and that's not the same thing. So Scotland and England, and of course Ireland too, became one. It was a union. And that's why there's not a separate nation. All this talk about four nations, that's a lie. And it has to be challenged. And the problem that we, and I don't want to get into the politics of this, the problem we have today is that we have the rise through devolution as well, and other things should never have happened. But we have this concept of that we're four separate nations, but we're, we're sort of together in, in some sort of a unified way. Because we never properly implemented the act of union and stopped, as the act determined, stopped using the terms Scotland and England. Because it's, it's okay to use them in a regional geographic sense, but we're not four separate nations. We're one nation, Great Britain and Northern Ireland, collectively the United Kingdom. And that is God's purpose. I believe that was, that was brought about by the express will of God and by uh, the uh, co-laborship, you could say, the co-laboring of uh, anointed men who saw that as God's purpose. Men like Knox, men like the Covenanters, and, and as, as John uh, up the back has, has written a, a wonderful uh, study on this, that much of the drive toward union was by Scots 
Not by, by the English. I was speaking about this last night. You know, let's be honest, the English didn't need us. And still really don't. But it was God's purpose that our nations of Scotland and England joined together, became one. And in the union, the act of union, first of all, there was the uniting of the kingdoms by the union of Jacobus. And then there became the act of union, which was a more political and state-based uh, exercise. But since then, we're one, one nation. Maybe shouldn't have had to labour that point, but it's important. It's important when we're speaking to people who talk about, oh, well, we need to have independence. That's really just like saying to your wife, I need independence. It's not God's will. God hates divorce, and he hates it between nations or countries that he's joined together as much as between a man and a wife. Okay. Hearken to me. The prophet said, ye that follow after righteousness. And I believe that's everybody in this room, that you have an interest in righteousness. What is right? What is God's purpose? What is God's will? What does God want on the earth? And I believe everybody in the sound of my voice, you're one of those people. So he's speaking to you and I. Ye that follow after righteousness. Ye that seek the Lord. You're here today because you're seeking the Lord, aren't you? You weren't dragged in against your own will. You're here today because you seek the Lord. Then he says this, Look unto the rock whence ye are hewn, and to the hole of the pit whence ye are digged. He's saying, look to your origins. Look to the root. Look to the thing you've been dug out of. Go to the source. So important. Now we can take this path two ways. We can, in actual fact, we take it both ways. Because when you speak about this, you're speaking about, uh, and, and, as a human, who's your father? Who are your ancestors? Who are you descended from? Now both spiritually, or should I say first of all, because first of all the physical, the natural, the descent from Abraham, as David has already mentioned, and, and preached a good bit of this in his prayer. The descent from Abraham, through natural birth, through race, through, through ancestry, descent. As Scots, we have that, and we'll look at that. Look unto Abraham, your father. Identifying those of Israel and other, race, other races, other, other nations. But in our case, we're looking at Israel. Look unto Abraham, and he's speaking to Israel. Look unto Abraham, your father. Now, we, we do that in a natural sense as Israelites, as British Israelites. But also we do it spiritually. Because Abraham is the father of faith to those who believe. Those who are of, in Christ by necessity must be of Abraham. Abraham has been placed, and I use this word because we will be using it later, as the patriarch, the father of many nations. But the father of the Israel nation. And the father of those 
who name Christ as Lord and Saviour and who are in him, born again, as David said, twice born. Born of the flesh, born of the seed of Abraham, naturally, and born of, the, of Abraham, spiritually. If ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed. Galatians chapter 3. And unto Sarah that bare you, for I called him alone and blessed him and increased him. And, and the meaning in the, in the Hebrew there, when it says called him alone, is that all of Abraham's descendants were in Abraham when he was called. So when God called Abraham, he called Abraham's seed. He called you and I in him. And, and that sense of alone means separate. He separated a man, and in the man he separated the descendants of the man and the nation and nations that would come out of the man. He separated them for a purpose in the earth. In other words, he made Abraham his covenant partner and cut the covenant with Abraham and ratified it in Abraham's seed, capital S, which is Christ. So he's saying to us here that he, go back to your origins. You need to go back. You, you, you want to follow the Lord. You want righteousness. You want to pray for your nation. You want to know God's purpose for Scotland here today. And indeed for England. Although I, I think Tom's an honorary Scot. What is your purpose? You need to go back to your origins. Now, when, when we first spoke about uh, as, uh, me doing this, it was meant to happen in April, I think two days after the actual date of the Declaration of Independence. Uh, and of course, uh, we'll, we'll look at that. But I just want to cover this here. It says, uh, Hearken, verse 4, unto me, my people, give ear unto me, O my nation, for a law shall proceed from me, and I will make my judgment to rest for a light of the people. My righteousness is near, my salvation is gone forth, and mine arms shall judge the people. The isles, the isles shall wait upon me, and on mine arm shall they trust. Remember, this was spoken two and a half thousand years ago, but for a people who would live in Adam in our generation, or certainly future generations, but as we come nearer and nearer in time to the last days, this is more and more relevant and pertinent and pointed towards a certain people. So the Declaration of Independence is really, uh, and, and of course, if you, I think everyone, you should have one of these when you came in, they're on the table at the back. If you don't have one, there are copies. And the reason the Declaration of Independence sorry, is so important is because there is reference made to it of our descent from Abraham and from Israel, which of course was the nation that came out of Abraham and then became in the earth many nations as God prophesied to Abraham that he'd be the father of many nations. So a great nation and, and many nations would come out of Abraham. So if you've got your wee thing, it just basically, it just quotes part of it, which is very pertinent to what we're looking at. 
And as important, we'll maybe speak a wee bit about the Declaration of Independence, tell you a little story about that. But look, it says here, we don't have a lot of time, so we'll just read the translation, unless somebody wants to read the Latin. <laughs> we know, most holy Father and Lord, and from the chronicles and books of the ancients gather, that among other illustrious, illustrious nations, ours, to wit the nation of the Scots, has been distinguished by many honours which passing from the greater Scythia through the Mediterranean Sea and pillars of Hercules and sojourning in Spain among the most savage tribes through a long course of time could nowhere be subjugated by any people, however barbarous, and coming thence 1,200 years after the outgoing of the people of Israel. Now why mention the Exodus if it wasn't pertinent, or relevant, or didn't matter, what's that got to do with him? The implication is clearly, he's saying here that the Scots have descended from, from Israel. They, by many victories and infinite toil, acquired for themselves the possessions in the West which they now hold. And what, what this is really saying is, the people that are Scots descended from Israel. Now, I would, I would say that even some people that not, don't necessarily hold to our message would, would concede that. They might not agree with it, but they would, they would certainly admit that's, what, that's what's being said here. The Declaration of Independence, once you go and study it out, because I think we, just, we have assumptions about it, that all it really was was telling the English, you can't pick our kings and queens. We'll do that ourselves. And, and that's a narrow view of the Declaration of Independence. It's not a wrong view, but it's only part of what, it, what, what was taking place here. Because the Declaration of Independence was sent to the Pope. And it wasn't so much, or wasn't just saying, we're going to be independent. We're not going to let the English king, the English monarchs, pick our monarchs. Which is the, the, the assumption that people have and they just think, well, and, and we have it today, don't we? We're not going to let the English tell us what to do. We want to be our own people. You know, that wee Dallas thing that goes on. Which is really just rebellion in a lot of ways, but we're not going to get into that right now. They were saying to the Pope, the letter was more to the Pope than it was to the English monarchy. You're not going to interfere anymore because the succession of Scottish kings, monarchs, had to be approved by the Pope. But also, in other words, the English king and the Pope would decide, oh, they've got such and such, I will let him be king. No, we won't let him be king. So it wasn't so much independence, and listen to this, this is a good part, it wasn't so much independence from those meddling pesky English. But it was, you could argue, an early salvo of Protestant thinking to say to the Pope, but out, we'll run our own affairs and you will tell us who we can and cannot anoint to be king. Because the anointing of the king, the anointing of Scottish monarchs was based on that biblical succession that comes down, and of course, the stone of destiny, 
which by this point, anyway, Longshanks had already taken away. But Scottish kings were anointed for many years, many several hundred years, coronated upon the stone of destiny until Longshanks took it. And of course, that being Jacob's pillar, or Jacob's pillow, the stone of destiny, the stone, the rock that followed Israel through the wilderness, and which was a miracle stone, and was the type of Christ, and the house of God, the Bethel stone, that was a portal to heaven. It was the stone that represented really everything that we are as a nation. And kings uh, of Israel, in fact, Judah and Israel were both anointed on that stone. And then, of course, the Irish uh, high kings, after the uh, Hebrew princesses came, Jeremiah brought that stone with him to Ireland. So uh, the Leah failed, the, the wondrous stone, the stone that legend said if they tried to uh, coronate someone who wasn't the right person, the stone would cry out. All of these things. And, and many of these are legends. But the point being, the stone of destiny, which today is 40 odd miles along the motorway, determined the succession, which was, of course, the house of David, the Davidic dynasty that was in these British cells. First, of course, in Ireland, then brought over into Scotland, and then with the stone being taken to England. English kings and then subsequently British kings. Our monarchy, our British royal house, produces a succession of monarchs that are crowned upon that stone. And the last person to receive that was uh, our sovereign Queen Elizabeth. The only person anointed to lead our nation is, not, is anointed upon that stone. And so... The Declaration of Independence uh, was a declaration to say we want to pick our own kings. The bad point about it, you could argue, and we don't want to get into this too much, but it has to be pointed out, is that it was also a declaration by the Bruce to mainly, again, the Pope, but also to the English monarchy to say I've got the backing of Knights Templar. Knights Templar had been persecuted and kicked out of Catholic countries by the papacy. Uh, but they'd, they'd settled in Scotland. Bruce gave them refuge. And so they were, they'd been trained as, as assassins. And they could get to anybody they wanted. So if they wanted to murder a Pope, they could do it easily. And because they were all sort of a bunched up here in Scotland and back in Robert the Bruce, Bruce was emboldened to say, listen, I've got these guys behind me. I've got this, you know, elite fighting unit. And they're also scattered throughout Europe. So you mess with me, you mess with them. And that was a big part of the, the political pressure behind it all. Sadly, the Knights Templar, of course, then became... Uh, the forerunners, and they brought in what we call today Freemasonry to Scotland, and that's that's been a curse in many respects. So there's there's a good side of the, 
the declaration. And for us as PIs, it's wonderful that they acknowledge our Israelite ancestry. But there's other sides of it that weren't so good. And we have to acknowledge that. And we don't want to spend too much time on that anyway. But I do want to say my friend and his wife went up to her broth just a week past there. And they actually felt led to pray that the any curse brought about by the Declaration of Independence 700 years ago that's still upon our nation would be broken. They felt very led to do it. Stevie and Emma, very good. Unionists, so that was their thinking. And I, I believe they were right. Because today, this wonderful declaration in many respects is used and hijacked by nationalists who hate the English with racial hatred in them um, and use this as a weapon against the Union to say we still need to be independent. And it's based on hatred and separatism and division. And more importantly than all of that, it's against the will of God. So we don't want independence today. We, we honour and acknowledge the important historical aspects of this but we do not in any way endorse what it's saying to a, a 14th century people here in a 21st century world. Or to 21st century Britain or Scotland. Amen? Alright, so. The ends of the earth. The Romans called it Ultima Thule. And that concept, which is a sort of a Middle East Mediterranean concept of these mysterious islands in the northwest of Europe, it had a, a, a sacred spiritual significance to the peoples of that time. We had the prophet saying, something's happening there in the future with an Israelite people who will be there. But even back then, there, there were migrations. There were migrations long before Isaiah wrote or penned this or said this. Because we had the, uh, the Milesian people, or, or kings, uh, who were descended from Zara Judah. Um, let me just get into that a little bit here. Um, so that I just give you a bit of background if you're not aware of this. And, and I know most of you are, but it's, it's important to cover it. But in Genesis chapter 38, we read of twins born to the patriarch Judah by his daughter-in-law Tamar. Of course, the first twin to break the matrix of his mother did so by popping out his hand. The midwife attending tied a scarlet thread, sorry, thread around his hand, but the twin withdrew his hand. And then the other twin came out in full. Before the scarlet thread twin was delivered, You'll find this in Genesis chapter 38. The twin of the scarlet thread was called Zara or Zera, and his brother was called Fares or Perez, and that meant a breach. He did so because he broke through upon his brother. And this was important because in ancient times, being the firstborn was of massive importance. You would inherit, you'd inherit a double portion, but you were the, the natural heir and successor. So there was a perpetual dispute between these twins. Well, who was the firstborn? Zara says, I was out first. 
than my hand. But Fares was Shibra. I shoved you out the road and I went through. So I'm the firstborn. No, no, I'm the firstborn. No, 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 no. You understand the dispute? Was it the twin of the scarlet thread or the one who broke through? Now the importance of this is magnified when we realise that Judah is the scepter tribe of Israel and Judah is both the father of these twins and also, in one respect, the grandfather because it was his daughter-in-law. Genesis 49 verse 10 tells us that the scepter, the right to kingly rule, shall not depart from Judah until Shiloh comes. This means that from Judah's loins would come the future kings of Israel. And of course we know from God's word the house of David did indeed come from the tribe of Phares. Uh, and uh, so God established the Phares line as the progenitors of the Davidic throne. And here's the thing we have to accept. That Zara was also a kingly line, a regal line, a royal line, and always had that claim of being the firstborn, the first to break the matrix, albeit only by a red hand, a, a, a scarlet red hand. Now you make your bell. Obviously it was Fares, but don't tell anyone from Zara that. Amen. Now, seeing that there was no prospect for the Zara uh, descendants of a royal inheritance in Israel because Fares uh, was the uh, progenitor of the kingly uh, tribe, uh, sorry, line of David, descendants of Zara later became seafarers and wanderers Travelling with the tribe of Dan into the European landmass. And, and, and to cut a long story short, eventually, uh, particularly uh, through sojournings, migrations into the Iberian region, eventually settled in Ireland. And there established a kingly line, and there established, if you like, a race of people who were Judites. And, and this is my frustration, brothers and sisters. We talk a lot in BI about the tribes, the migrations, the lost tribes, but, you, but there's an overemphasis sometimes on the northern migrations, the migrations of the northern tribes, the ten lost tribes or ten tribes of Israel, and, and we sometimes, in, in some BI circles, there's, there's almost a blindness to the fact that Judah also settled in the Isles and has a massive part to play. In fact, to cut to the, the whole chase of it all, many of the Irish and Scots people today are descended from Judah, particularly the Highland clans. The Highland clans, uh, in the ensign message, John Kaiser wrote a wonderful uh, couple of articles on how all the Highland clans from the Dalriadic heritage ancestry were all Judaites. Peter Beresford Ellis, who is a Celtic historian, a renowned one, wrote a book called Erin's Blood Royal. And in that book, as an Irish Celtic scholar, he said that a great 
A travesty has been perpetrated of deception upon the Irish people because the Irish people were taught systematically that they were bog peasants, you know, some of the earth, no good, no, no account people. They, 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 had, and they were poor and, and peasants. And, and, they, and of course, we, we have these Irish jokes. And all, the, all of these things that, that, that smash down the prestige and thinking of the Irish people. And he, in his research, found out that this was deliberate. He found out that the major clans of Ireland were not bog peasants with no history or heritage or tradition that was merited anything, but that they were descended from royalty, from Elysian royalty. And he said, this is, this is a horrific thing, that the Irish have been taught to self-loathe and hate themselves so they could be controlled. Controlled by whom, and he identifies in this book, the two institutions that did this deliberately and systematically. One was the Roman Catholic religion, or church, so-called, and the second was successive Irish governments. Through grievance-mongering, the people of Ireland were, were kept in a, a state, and still are to this day many, of hostility towards their English masters and taught to hate Britain because they were taught to hate themselves as being of no value or account. History and identity are destiny. We see the same in Scotland today. This grievance, among the grievance politics, the English colonizers and all that rubbish that's been taught. And that we're just, you know, we're just downtrodden Scots. They've always been there as fodder to our English masters, all of this stuff. And we, you, the butcher's apron and all this, they sent our sons off to war as, as the fodder of all the war. All this stuff, we get taught it today because it's the same tactics by the same people, Republican nationalist haters of all that we stand for. So we've got wonderful history. But we also always have had that element among us who would rather teach us to despise our heritage if they can't get us to uh, ignore it and deny it altogether. 2020, 700 years after the Declaration of Independence, in many respects, we're still fighting the same enemies because we have been taught today that unless we're for independence, we don't have freedom. But we have the freedom that they tell us that we need already. And that freedom is given to us as being British citizens and, and, and acknowledging the role of history and God's hand in history, shaping and molding us as a people, as, as nations towards being one nation in the earth under one king or queen under one monarch, one kingdom, one nation, one people. That's of God. And anything else is a lie from the devil. And that's why we're a united kingdom and must remain a united kingdom. United by what? By the gospel, by the cross. Look at the crosses on our national flag. But God has done something wonderful. And that's what I want to speak. I want to speak a little bit about, just very quickly, um, 
about our future, our destiny in many respects. What does God have for us? Um, turn to Zechariah, please, chapter 1. I want, to, I want to look at a prophetic picture. And, and I've not really covered this in, in, because there's, there's so much to get out here right now. But I, I, and I want you to do, make some assumptions that I know you already are, are there anyway. But think of it as this way. In, a, in many respects, Scotland is Judah. And England is Ephraim. England mainly being ten tribes Israel and Scotland and Northern Ireland in particular and other elements maybe in Wales and so on being the Judaic people. Before we turn to this let me just cover something. In Ireland, we had the Milesian people, the Milesian kings, the, the high kings of Ireland, a royal race, a regal people clan, that, that became clans, tribes, or clans is the better word. And, and of course, as, 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 as time went on, the Milesians took up a great part of Ireland and they had their clan system and they had... The, the whole, all the Druids and, and all the, the, the elements that point to an Israelite heritage. And then, of course, Fergus the Great came over uh, to Scotland, to Dalriada, and he brought, or should I say, he brought the stone of destiny with him upon which the high kings of Ireland were crowned. And he borrowed it. And if you've ever had a friend that's borrowed something from you, you'll know what I mean. He never took it back. It stayed here. That was one of the, the, really, the overthrows. But it came from Ireland over to Scotland. And then, and then the succession of Scottish kings descended from Milesian royalty were crowned on him. But God did something that I don't know that we fully, really acknowledge this or are aware of it. But he did something that this day you could say, wow. And I, and I want to just touch on this. Because I said to you that Abraham was a patriarch. The, the, the Bible calls them the fathers, which is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Some scholars would include the 12 sons, the, the, the tribes, tribal heads, like Judah and Reuben and so on. But mainly, Abraham, Isaac, he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Isn't he? They are the fathers. They are the fathers of the Israelite nation, but they're also our fathers in that, in, in that respect. But do you know that God had another patriarch in mind? God has one covenant partner in the earth, which is Abraham and all his descendants. God is not in the business of making covenants with all and sundry. He's a covenant-keeping God, and that means he's faithful to his covenant partner. But there was a little shepherd boy, and he was out in the, in the fields with his sheep, and he was communing with God, and something about that boy 
touched God's heart. And he said, I want to do something for this boy. Do you know, I love him so much. I want to do something for him. So special. I want, I want to put him. I want to make him. I can't undo my covenant with Abraham. Somehow or other, I'm going to graft this boy into this covenant. And do make him a patriarch. Acts chapter 2, verse 29 says this. If you want to turn this up to yourself. Men and brethren, Peter is speaking, on the day of Pentecost, let me speak, or let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David. Of the patriarch David. Patriarch is the head of a house. Or we would say the head of a nation because that's what Abraham was. He's a patriarch. God has made David a patriarch. And how do we know this? Because we see here that Peter referred to David as a patriarch. This is a big clue as to what David's role was destined to be in Israel. The Bible refers to the fathers, and by this is meant Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. To be a patriarch means to be the founding father of a tribe or house or nation. The word means progenitor, the first in a new branch or family of people. There are many mighty men in scripture, but there are not many in the patriarch class. Moses wasn't a patriarch. Elijah was not a patriarch. God did not just make David king over Israel. He he didn't only make him the head of a dynasty or a royal family. He actually elevated David to patriarchal status and made him the progenitor of a whole new house in Israel. Remember it says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took thee from the sheep coat, from following the sheep to be ruler over my people, over Israel. And remember when David wanted to build God a house and God says, no, you're not building me a house. I'm going to build you a house. David wanted to build God a house, but the Lord said, you won't build me a house, I'll build you one. Now God had already cut a covenant with Abraham, making Abraham his partner in the earth. Therefore he couldn't do a new deal in inverted commas, if you like, with David. So he did the next best thing. He grafted David in, and his house into the Abrahamic covenant. Remember the promise... Because there is a Davidic covenant. I'll make a covenant with David. And remember the promise to Abraham? Because you haven't withheld your son, he says. And bless now, bless thee, and multiply now, multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. That was the Abrahamic blessing and covenant. Multiplication of your seed. Uncountable seed. Do you know that God made that promise to David? Didn't make it just to Abraham. Why is that important to Scotland? We'll see. God promised Abraham multiplication of his seed. Compare that promise with this. Thus saith the Lord, David shall never want a man to sit upon the throne of the house of Israel. Well, we know that speaks about the royal uh, lineage and succession. <coughs> Neither shall the priests of Levites 
want a man before me to offer burnt offerings. If you could break my covenant of the day, my covenant of the night, there should not be day or night in the season, then may also my covenant be broken with David, my servant. And so on. This is in Jeremiah chapter 33. Now watch this. As the host of heaven cannot be numbered, neither the sand of the sea measured. This is the Abrahamic blessing, isn't it? This is the Abrahamic covenant, isn't it? So will I multiply the seed of David, my servant, and the Levites that minister unto me. See, God had an option, I believe, which was to set up a separate house and multiply David's seed. He could do it that way. Or he could do it another way. He could co-mingle David's seed into the rump of the Israel family of nations. And that's what he did. The royal... John Kaiser's article speaks about Scotland, the mind in different areas. And in the royal, the north of Scotland, the royal Judai peoples, the race of Judites, and the lowland Scots, you know, being ten tribes Israel, Israelites. And that's why there's always been that clash between Highlanders and New Sassanaks. And there was that rivalry and that, and, and the two didn't mingle and they didn't like each other and so on for so long. For many years. But this is 2020. And you can prove this by anecdote. The most, one of the most English people I know is, is Roger in Orange Street. Very English. Fanatically English. But when you speak to Roger, he talks about, I think he's a Scottish granny. And many English people. You speak to them, and they've got Scots in their background. Because as time went by, those Judites, and, the, the, and, and it's the same with the Irish, as well as the Highland Scots, that didn't like the English, and didn't like the... Eventually, they married, and had children together, to the point where today in 2020, it's very hard to find anybody in the British Isles. And this is backed by the DNA record. I've checked this, I've researched this. That doesn't have a trace of Scottish or Irish DNA from the Judahite section, if you like, of our indigenous native ancestry stroke population. In, in other words, the seed of the Judahite race not race, sorry, uh, the Judai faction, we could call it, has co-mingled with, we would call it, ten tribe or Ephraim. In other words, to put it in a nutshell, most of indigenous, native, British people today have Scots or Irish in their ancestry, even if they're way down the south of England or the most English of people. We're all, if you like, interbred. So, over time, Judah and Ephraim co-mingled through marriage, maybe sometimes not through marriage, but our ancestry today as British people 
has both Judea and Israelite ancestry. Why is that important? God promised. And, and that's not just here in the British Isles. How many people in America, New Zealand, Canada have Scots, Irish, England, you know, but Israelite ancestry? God said to David, I will multiply your sheep. And what that means is that the vast rump of Israelite people in the earth today have royal DNA. You sometimes see it in the newspapers, they do these things, send your, ancestry, send your DNA and we'll prove that you've got royal ancestry. God took Abraham and says, I, I, so it took David and says, I'm going to make you a patriarch. And your seed, you will, you, you will not want a man. That doesn't just mean that there will always be a successor. It means that God will multiply. And what did he say? What was his promise? Ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and an holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood and holy nation. A peculiar people that ye should show forth the praises. Now you might say, yes, but that applies spiritually. Yes, it does. But it also applies naturally. First the natural, then the spiritual. God is saying, I will have a race of people in the earth who have royal DNA. There'll be a royal seed. There'll be a royal priesthood. They will all have that Melchizedek priesthood in their very DNA. Kings and priests unto me. Now that's a spiritual thing. It's only for born again people in its full expression. But there's the race and there's the grace. Aspects to this. Hath made us kings and priests unto God. And his father to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. These promises first and foremost are to Israel. And God is saying, I will make you a royal nation, a royal priesthood, a race of kings and priests. Nowhere is that more evident than in these British Isles. And I would argue nowhere, nowhere more relevant than in here in Scotland. And that's why I think sometimes that that the Judah dimension has been missing from our studies. And that's why I believe people like our present First Minister and our cohorts, they want that truth hidden from us, that God has purposed that we be a set-apart holy nation, peopled by a royal race, a royal race of Scots, a royal race of Judites and, and Israelites, the two becoming one stick in the hand of the Lord for a purpose in the earth. We're out of time, really, Zechariah chapter 1. I, I, I will read it very quickly, if you don't mind. don't want to hold you back. It's very, just a few verses, and I want you to speak very quickly on it. He says here in Zechariah chapter 1, we'll close with this, Then lifted, up, lifted I up mine eyes, verse 18, and saw, and behold, four horns. And I said unto the angel that talked with me, Who, What be these? And he answered me, these are the horns which have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. In other words, we can see in present moment 2020 Britain, these are the, the horns that have scattered Judah, Scotland, Israel, England, and Jerusalem. These are the horns that have scattered Britain. 
Horns means powers. And the number four signifies uh, many things, but one of the things it signifies is north, south, east and west, which is the symbol of globalism. Or Babylon or Leviathan. Globalist powers. Or a globalist agenda. Babylon, Leviathan, the beast system. Has come against Britain, Scotland, England. And the United Kingdom. And brought it and scattered it. Dispersed its power. And the Lord showed me four carpenters. And the word carpenters there can mean Builders. Then said I, what came these to do? And he spoke, saying, These are the horns which have scattered Judah, so that no man did lift up his head, but these are come to fray them, or to, to you know, destroy them, to cast out the horns or the powers of the Gentiles, which lifted up their horn or power over the land of Judah to scatter. We are today facing Scotland. I'm closing with this. We are today facing in Scotland globalism. Independence is just, I believe, the mask. And we're all asked to wear a mask these days. Mask is what actors wore in Bible times. That's what they call them hypocrites, because they wore a false face. And I believe independence is the false mask worn by Sturgeon and others like her, because their agenda is a globalist one. It's Antichrist, it's Babylon, it's Leviathan. And appealing to independence and appealing to this document in, in the wrong way is just a masquerade. But it, it's the powers of Antichrist that have come against Scotland. And God says, I'm going to raise up an opposing power to directly counteract it. And that word carpenters, if you check the Hebrew, I'm not going to go into it too much, but it simply means four master builders or, or master builder. And master builder, of course, Paul speaks about it as apostolic ministry. And I believe what God is saying is, I'm going to raise up my church, my ecclesia, my people, my apostolic people in Scotland to destroy the forces of global there's so much more I wanted to get into. I've run out of time. Um, and I know you all want to get to your tea. But wonderful prophecies. I was going to read you Richard Cameron's prophecy. About our day, our time. When he said that the Church of Scotland would rise and be so strong that it would go into, into Europe and destroy what he called Rome, but what we would call not just Rome people, but Rome political. In other words, Babylon. And there are many such prophecies. And indeed the prophetic record, which, which we could, we've gone into more in depth, but again, time prevents. But the point I'm trying to say is this. We are facing powers that are hostile to everything we hold dear. But God has an answer. For the four horns that come against Judah and Jerusalem, God says, I'll raise up four carpenters, master builders, I would say, as I said, using that as an analogy for apostolic ministry. Meaning the church. Meaning the people of God. In other words, God is building a city. 
which has no human foundation. But everything about the four horns has a human and satanic foundation. But God says, I've got an answer to the powers that come against Scotland. I've got an answer to the powers that come against Britain. I have a destiny for the Scottish people, the royal race, for the British people, the royal priesthood, the holy nation, the kings and priests set apart unto me. And not just here in the Isles, as I said, but in America. I believe God has chosen five haven nations. I've shared this privately with David and others. Britain, America, Canada, New Zealand and Australia. But he's purposed to be haven nations from Babylonian powers at this time. But it will not happen unless we pray, brothers and sisters, and take our stand and beseech God that all the things he promised to the isles, to the ends of the earth, that he would make true in, in, in our generation. I believe God wants to do it, but he will not do it unless we co-labor with him. He's called us to that destiny. He has a purpose and destiny for our nation. The challenge I believe he gives us this day, will we walk in that? Will we pray and labor to that end? Or will we see our nation go into great darkness? And I believe we, won't, we don't want that. We will respond and be the people he's called us to be.